We can make this competitive. We can make it competitive bird watching. Hey there, welcome to Hot Takedown, the show where the hot takes of the sports world meet the numbers that prove them right or tear them down. Today is April 7th, 2020, and I'm Sarah Ziegler, the sports editor here at 538. Joining me is senior sports writer Neil Payne. Hello, Neil. Hi, Sarah. How are you? I'm fantastic. How are you? I'm good. I have a, a new extra coworker today out on my balcony. It's a, a couple pigeons decided <laughs> to show up. That's what I'm really, you know, that's where we're at right now. Yeah, that's like a an exciting, that's a page one development right there. Yeah, I can't have human contact, but I can't have pigeon contact through glass. <laughs> and also on the line is 538 contributor Jeff Foster. Hey, Jeff. Hello, Sarah. Hello, Neil. You know, funny Hi, coincidence... I myself have been doing quite a bit of bird watching these days. Like with your your toddler daughter, like can you beat her in bird watching? Well, no, I, you know, but I try to. I, I'd like to know what I'm talking about when I when they ask me what kind of bird that is, and I'm like, uh, a raven. Just Crow? do the classic dad thing <laughs> and make it up, right? I mean, I usually do. I usually say with full confidence a species, but you know, in my heart, I know it's probably not right. Can you take bets with your daughter on, like, which bird will show up the next day? We could. We yeah. could talk about the sound. Uh, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of potential here, Neil. <laughs> on today's show, we'll discuss President Donald Trump's desire for sports leagues to start back up again and what, if anything, he can do about it. Then we'll return to our simulated March Madness tournament and talk about where the winners would sit in NCAA history. And finally, we'll be joined by a special guest to take a deep dive into data with our rabbit hole of the week. Over the weekend, President Trump held a conference call with the heads of most major sports leagues, the notable exception of the National Women's Soccer League, and the notable inclusion of the WWE and UFC. The goal of the call was to talk about how leagues could start at play again. Trump said he wanted to have fans back in stadiums and arenas by August and September, according to sources familiar with the call. At a press briefing, the president had this to say about his conversation with league leaders. We have to open our country again. We don't want to be doing this for months and months and months. We're going to open our country again. This country wasn't meant for this. Few were. Few were. But we have to open our country again. All the great leaders of sport, and they want to get back. They got to get back. They can't do this. Their sports weren't designed for it. The whole concept of our nation wasn't designed for it. We're going to have to get back. We want to get back soon, very soon. Guys, we all want our sports back, but how realistic is the president's timetable, Neil? And can he actually do anything to make it happen? Well, you know, I don't I don't know that anyone really can say how realistic or unrealistic uh, the NFL starting up is just because it's so long into the future and uh, numerous public health people have been like, we we can't even predict this thing's trajectory over the next more than beyond the next week in some cases. So, yeah, you know, I think that it sounds optimistic uh, and, and certainly the one of the things that has to happen. One of the many things that has to happen first is just that local restrictions have to be lifted. 
you know, Gavin Newsom, the the governor of California, said in response to Trump's, uh, you know, call and his comments about wanting the league to start, he said, I don't know that I don't see it happening in this state right now just because uh, they have restrictions on the, the number of people that can gather. And if you think about an NFL game, the NFL might be the worst example for this because it takes so many people gathered in one space that if you limit gatherings over 50 but, but some of these gatherings are like 25 people or 10 people, you know, that are banned. You're not going to be able to have an NFL game. It's like literally the players on the field constitute a gathering more than is, is legally allowed uh, right now. But maybe this is an opportunity to sort of stream, uh, like streamline some of these uh, sports because, you know, sometimes... You're going to say trim the fat, Jeff. <laughs> I was going to say, like, is this the moment where we realize we don't need the chain gang anymore? <laughs> um, if, if we're risking lives, um, it does take just one positive test to derail the whole thing. That being said, one of these leagues, there's too much money at stake. One of these leagues is going to try. And I think the NFL, for, for many reasons, the nature of the NFL and just the general ruthlessness that that league has shown um across many fronts seems like the most likely candidate especially based on the the calendar to be the first to try if, if baseball doesn't doesn't get there first well right so late last night or early this morning um it leaked that the that MLB and the players union in baseball had are working on a plan to bring the league back as early as May with teams all playing in fanless stadiums in the Phoenix area, players and staff under this plan would all be sequestered in nearby hotels. This is like 1,500 people would all need to be, you know, quarantined in Phoenix um, to play at the stadiums in the Phoenix area. I mean, there are a lot of stadiums there because of spring training and such. When I saw this last night, I thought, wait, really? Could that actually happen? Neil, does this seem possible? I mean, it's not impossible. I guess, you know, the, we, we have to keep kind of couching things that way throughout this whole crisis because it's like it, it, it things would have to go right, but it's not out of the question. And some of the things that they've talked about are uh, basically faster testing and more testing capacity so that, first of all, leagues aren't taking away tests from, uh, you know, normal people who, who need them more just to make sure that baseball can be played. And also the fast turnaround times to be able to get the results back so that you know if someone is an asymptomatic carrier, especially, uh, before they're able to kind of infect everyone. They're going to have to play in really hot weather in a lot of cases. You know, Chase Field has a roof that can be closed. But when we're talking about the other ballparks, most of them or all of them are outside, you know, the spring training parks and, and the temperature in Phoenix during the summer. Uh, in July, the average high is 106 degrees. So, you know, if, if they're thinking about that. And people have also floated the idea of having not just double headers at the, the closed you know, Chase Field uh, Stadium, but also triple headers. Baseball hasn't actually had a triple header. Uh, this is according to the Elias Sports Bureau. Since October 2nd, 1920, the Reds and Pirates played each other three times in one day in Forbes Field. It's It's got to be weird if they try it. And, uh, you know, I'm a little concerned, though, about the possibility of 
you know, we've seen some of the Asian leagues. The Korean baseball organization is trying to come back. They they had that clip that went viral of players playing in surgical masks. Um, I think it was last week, and they're still working up toward potentially restarting their season. But the Chinese Basketball Association has tried to come back twice, and they, both times they've had to delay because of people getting sick or just the the problem in the country getting out of hand uh in japan also they've uh they've tried to return baseball and uh some star players actually tested positive afterward that kind of put everything on hold so if this is attempted it would not surprise me at all if we saw uh, a situation where it has to kind of restart in, in fits and starts and is not a smooth return and the being bracing at least for the possibility that uh, they'll try it and then they'll just have to abandon the the experiment. I'm curious about how this would work. Would they have uh, what? Ele- I think it's eleven minor league parks there. Would there be any notion like would one team have like a home field or would you share a home field with like another team from the American League or the National League? Uh, I'm, I'm confused how that would work. I think you'd have to share. I mean, there's the, the, the Diamondback Stadium, obviously, then all the spring training parks, and then there's minor league college parks. Yeah, I, there's a so there's a total of 13 stadiums within a 50-mile radius in the Phoenix area that they could use. But so that's still not enough for each team to have its own park. Right. You'd still have to like trade off on home field advantage and that kind of thing. And surely the Diamondbacks would have to play some games in the other stadiums like they can't just have that place to themselves um which are like guys funny, we're home, home field advantage <laughs> it's our stadium <laughs> but um it does feel like they they talked about to make up some of the revenue and obviously there would be so many eyeballs on it that they would put even more games on more games on national tv and i assume the marquee games like your your national games would be played in chase field right or who knows? I mean, maybe it doesn't matter. And do we still hate the Astros, or have we gotten over that? I mean, is it that was a big topic well, before I all we, this? We particularly never hated them, according right. to I mean, Sarah's we, policy the, for the, the show. The greater we. <laughs> yeah, that's a great question, because like when baseball comes back, people are going to be so grateful to have sports, and, and baseball in particular, that there will be a lot of love and outpouring of affection. And then we'll remember... Uh, that they banged on trash cans uh, and and have to sort of like I guess boo the Astros, but but welcome all of the other teams back with open arms. If I know anything about America, it's that uh, we won't give up our grudges. So I'm sure that there will be plenty of hatred for the Astros once we get started again. <laughs> but t- Neil, to your point, I think baseball needs to start getting its head around a shorter season. It seems like they're they're doing a lot. A lot of the talk has been, you know, all this talk of the double hitters and going into like mid to late November, which I guess would be totally feasible in Arizona where it's warm. Um, I think the idea of a full season needs to be kind of taken off the table, in, in my view. And I think more realistic is probably around July 1st. And whether, and I think empty stadiums are almost a, a given too. The question is whether it's in Arizona or you know, another plan, I think, is what will most likely happen if I did, you know, predict. Yeah, I mean, it seems like having fans be in the in the stands for games will be one of the last things that returns to normal. Well, it's interesting to me that 
the NFL has been mostly unaffected so far. I mean, NBA, MLB, NHL obviously had to postpone things, suspend their seasons. The, the NFL, so far, the only real like changes they've had to make were making the draft a virtual thing. And then um, yesterday, Monday, was supposed to be the start of off-season workouts for teams with new head coaches. Um, that couldn't happen in person, obviously. Then it was going to happen by video conference. And then now that's just been delayed until they can figure out the rules around it. But NFL training camps are supposed to begin mid-July. Other July sporting events like Wimbledon and the British Open have already been called off. So, I mean, that's why the, the MLB timeline doesn't really make sense to me. And NFL starting on time doesn't really make sense to me either, given these other sporting events that have already said, yeah, we can't do it. Jeff, is it is it realistic that football will start on time this year? I think football as we normally know it starting um you know, going through a normal off season into a normal summer preseason into a fall. See, it's, there will be definite changes. It, I, I think football will be played this year. I feel more confident about that than I do say resuming the, you know, restarting the, or not restarting, starting the MLB season later, um, which I think just has a worse timeline. I, I do think it'll be this year. I am dubious. You know, I don't, like all things with this uh, virus, I don't take what the president says seriously because I don't think it's relevant. Um, I think on that call, he was probably learning more from the leagues than he was, you know, they were learning from him. So do you guys think that the involvement of President Trump is helpful at this point? Or might it put pressure on leagues to maybe start up sooner than they might have otherwise? I think it's probably the latter, right? I mean, you know, this was a situation where I think he was trying to use sports uh, to to reinstill a, a sense of hope or, you know, uh, that, that we were moving towards normalcy. Because of that, it might create the pressure to come back. But uh, it's not like the leagues need that much more pressure. There's a lot of money, you know, being lost every day that they're not playing games. Uh, so... You know, I, but I, I don't know if that would influence a, de, a league's decision to come back earlier than they would have otherwise. But I don't think it was necessarily a a helpful injection uh, to have him, you know, kind of enter the conversation. But is it ever? <laughs> I did find it telling that there were no players' associations on the call. Like the players will obviously have to be a huge part of decisions to come back, and in different, they seem to be more. Uh, the union in MLB seems to be more interested in coming back early than like NBA, the players have expressed, you know, a little more caution, but they're obviously going to have to be involved. So if they weren't on the call, it seems like a little bit like, uh, is this real? Is this actually, are we actually getting anywhere? I don't know. It does seem like the, uh, there are a lot of NFL players who are not, I mean, your career is pretty short in the NFL compared to these other sports compared to the MLB, certainly. Um, and especially if you're not, you know, a star caliber player, if you're a, a backup or a special teams player, I mean, losing these paychecks is significant. And, and I think, um, I think you are going to see, I think there will be some veteran players. I think that, you know, if you're a Drew Brees or Philip Rivers and, you know, you might be more likely to Tom Brady, you might be more likely to not want to play, um, if there's risk involved, but for the vast majority of these guys, I think they're, they'll be pretty eager to play. Um, obviously, you know, the NFL PA will have to sort out 
you know, these warring interests within its own body. But um, I could see NFL players and, and, and to the politics question, to the Trump question, there is something, let's not deny it, that among the NFL owners politically that aligns with Trump. I mean, he's friends with several of these guys. M- many of them are huge donors to him. Uh, Woody Johnson was named an ambassador uh, to the UK. So it does feel like that sport, he might have a sway over that regardless of, uh, you know, I think he did, he did have influence on that sport during the whole, um, which happened in his first year, year and a half in, in, uh, in office with the, with the whole kneeling controversy and the Kaepernick stuff where he took an active role in that. So I, I could actually see him having an impact on Goodell and the, the 32 guys that Goodell represents. And it's just, you know, it's it's totally by chance of when this happened that obviously it was probably more likely based on what we know about viruses to happen during the winter, uh, you know, and, and kind of when it did. But the NFL just got lucky that uh, so far that it has not had to lose any games. It really has like putting the draft on video conference is a minor inconvenience at best you know i'm sorry they weren't able to do their lavish vegas water base like remember that they're gonna have like like a boat take the 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 draft prospects up to shake goodell's hand or something like anyway i'm sorry they weren't able to do that but aside from that they really have not had to suffer any kind of real tangible losses as a result of this yeah i'm not gonna lie i i feel Hearing leagues say, yes, you know, yeah, the NFL is going to start on time in September. Oh, MLB can come back earlier than you thought. Like, there's a part of me that's like, yes, that's so good. That's awesome. Let's do that. And it's like with all of this, I have I find myself having to remind myself to temper this with like concern for everything else going on and what it could mean overall and not wanting to have um, new flare-ups or, you know, a, a relapse of this disease, we want it over when it's over. And I, I think that that's the part that's constantly like, no sports is frustrating and, you know, a bummer for big sports fans or people who work in sports, obviously. But we're doing this for a reason. We're doing this to stop the spread of this terrible disease and to prevent people from from dying. And so if there's any chance that the disease will keep spreading if we try to to stay with the timeline of the NFL or move up um, the timelines of these other leagues. If there's any chance that things will get bad again, I don't want to do that, right? I don't want to risk that just to have football to watch, right? I mean, that's that's the thing I really want people to keep in mind during all of this. That all we all need to keep in mind that we all want return to normalcy, but. We want it without this disease. That's the first thing. That's the most important thing. Although talking about the players, you know, and their desire to come back, it is also a microcosm of what's going on in the economy at large, where you have a lot of people that are willing to work, want to work, had jobs, thought that they had job security uh, just a month ago, and otherwise would totally be able to work, but because of the the circumstances, suddenly don't have a job or even an industry really anymore. I mean, the players are the same way. They want to play. You see them on social media all the time, you know, doing these substitute 
you know, activities and, and training and, and wanting to sort of be ready whenever the call comes. So that tension is playing out in sports also between, you know, a, a group of, of people that are very willing to work and just can't because of the circumstance. It's incredibly frustrating. And most of them, by no coincidence, are, you know, Gen Z millennial types who we've <laughs> seen, it's documented, are a little more, you know, bullish on on the social distancing. So that's that's a factor for sure. Oh, no, I think we... there is probably I don't I don't want to get into generation warfare here. And I <laughs> we've think, gotten into uh, the Jeff get off my lawn segment, which is I, always good. a you little guys, bit. But you guys are both they are young, X, right? And they're yeah. Uh, I'm the only millennial here. No, I know. Jeff and I are both Gen X and are very good at social distancing. We've been we've been practicing our entire life for this. Okay, I think that's a good place to leave this for now. Let's take a break. And when we come back, we'll wrap up our simulated NCAA tournament. Hot Takedown has been talking a lot these past weeks, of course, about how the coronavirus brought the sports world to a grinding halt. And you can hear this mix of sadness and exasperation and also humor in how folks are adapting to the new reality. One example we thought particularly captured the spirit of the struggle to keep sports in our lives was an exchange between Scott Van Pelt and Joe Lunardi as they discussed a prospective NCAA tournament bracket on SportsCenter. They're like Maryland. They got down a lot and always fought back. Then they would have had to play Dayton. And they would have had to play San Diego State. Well, that's if San Diego State won its Sweet 16 game over... Duke. So maybe it's a regional final at Madison Square Garden against the Devils. Oh, my. If, it, as, as if. I feel like I've just been torturing people today. As if, as if it's not, hasn't been a kick to the junk for just a couple, <laughs> 24 straight hours. You're telling me the Duke and the Garden would have been a potential 2-4 game? Yeah. That's kind of where we were at. I didn't want to fight you before, but I, this, is, this, this just sucks so bad. <laughs> It's the worst. Joe, I appreciate you, man. I appreciate all the work you do. Hey, let's make a date same time next year. I hope so, man. Good deal. Since 538 just finished our simulated March Madness tournament, we'll first talk about what you guys think of the results of our tournament. We'll also discuss how we're all dealing with the fact that we're having to invent these fictional results and storylines and seasons that could have been. So first, Jeff, you have been vindicated with a win for Michigan State. I don't want any credit. Our men's I don't want any credit. Yeah, I know. Uh, just a reminder that uh, you took that in the redraw that I forced you to make. Yes. <laughs> oh, wait, that I wasn't I his said, pick. I don't want with. any part of this. Oh, he no, had Kentucky. No, his pick was Kentucky. Kentucky. Yeah. <laughs> but still, he beat so, my Kansas. He beat Kansas. He did beat. I got to give credit. Yeah. I ha- I'm going to give you credit whether you like it or not, Jeff. I'm giving you credit. <laughs> Fine. I'll take the credit. Uh in our final four michigan state beat san diego state kansas beat maryland and then michigan state beat maryland michigan state's win probability was only 44 percent. they were not the favorite but they still came out on top so is that's exciting is no season exactly (laughs) uh this would have been the fourth all-time tournament meeting between kansas and michigan state had it happened uh it also would have been michigan state's eighth final four since 2000 that's the most of any team that's I mean, I have complicated feelings about Michigan State and Tom Izzo, but that is pretty impressive, right? For sure. And I I think um, looking at our results, it looks very much like a bracket that I would fill out. You know, you put Michigan State in the Final Four, and and you, you have some upsets, but a good balance of high seeds. And then in the final, you... 
you try to be a little counterintuitive and you take Michigan State winning the championship to try to get a little bit of edge and then you realize everyone else did the same thing because most people know about this Tom Izzo thing and <laughs> will will generally do the same picks anyway and, and then you lose. So it it, it tracked. I think that Michigan State... Michigan State's loss to uh, Middle Tennessee in the first round a few years ago did a lot to sort of um, cool people on them, I think, in, in terms of their tournament chances, because that was a shocker. And I remember that year, a lot of people were really high on Michigan State. There were people picking them winning at all that year and to lose in the first round. That was round, a 15 over a 2, right? Yeah. I think once that happens, um, you have a memory of that, and you're probably less likely to maybe pick them to go farther. Yeah, and I like I like that realism factor for for Michigan State. It's like something that you could see happening. I think uh, it's it's kind of interesting. We talked about comparing our uh, brackets with other places that were releasing, and you saw like Wisconsin over BYU. I think was in the ESPN one. Ohio State over Baylor in the um, Washington Post one. Uh, on Twitter, Joe Lenardi. I guess he has Florida versus Michigan State, a rematch of the 2000 final. In yeah, uh, Michigan State beat Florida last night in Joe Lenardi. Okay. <laughs> okay. Michigan State winning. Yeah. You know. There you go. Uh, SB Nation had um, uh, Dayton over Gonzaga in their final. Uh, SI had Kansas over Gonzaga, and then the Sporting News uh, through a crowdsource poll had has Kansas and Dayton. I don't know if they've picked their champion yet. Yeah, Dayton won. Dayton that won. One. So I, I, you know, looking at those matchups compared with ours of uh, Michigan State over Kansas. I kind of feel like Michigan State over Kansas feels the most realistic. But, you know, again, we, we had gone on at length before the, the uh, shutdown about how this was going to be a weird uh, March Madness. So maybe a weird result would have actually been more realistic. Who knows? Yeah, the ones – I mean, I, I sort of like the, you know, the Dayton-Gonzaga final – that's how that's actually how I would have picked my bracket and you know probably would have been wrong um but I like those like the new teams the underdogs um I don't know if we can still call Gonzaga an underdog but until they finally win right um but those are the ones that feel like oh yeah that feels like a simulation Michigan State being Kansas doesn't feel like a simulation it feels like what we would get because we've gotten it many times before (laughs) so i don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing like maybe we should have leaned into the weirdness and had you know east tennessee state winning it all or something (laughs) well east tennessee state beat duke which i know uh, so that was good when i went on the espn daily podcast and talked about that i got a lot of pushback over the idea that east tennessee state would beat duke i was like look we've seen duke lose to a lot of teams over the years early in the tournament that's not unrealistic at all no, it makes perfect sense. Um, on the women's side, Baylor was our national champion, winning their second straight. In, back to back. You know, yeah, not real life. Can they um, call Baylor, it? Can we call it back to back? We cannot. In fact, I was oh. like, I was studiously avoiding that in our stories about about these tournaments because I really the thing I don't like is the like fan fiction aspect of these simulated tournaments where we're getting into you know the the specifics of what might have happened in games and the points scored by individual players and and I don't really like that because like that it, the simulation of how a team's strength or not is like fine and we're presenting it as obviously a simulation when we get into the like rewritten games I don't I, I'm not as interested in that like that's just fiction and it's fine but it's not 
<laughs> it's not what I want to read. If we can't have the real thing, I don't want a fake version like that. Um, but so in the win- in the women's final four, Baylor beat Oregon, South Carolina beat Maryland, and then Baylor beat South Carolina in the final. Baylor was the favorite um, going into the final with a 54% win probability in our simulation. All four one seeds made the final four. Yeah, I mean, all four number one seeds had have made the final four multiple times, yeah. um, even just in the past decade, uh, a couple times. So, yeah, that that felt real. So, Neil, if this simulation was what really had happened, what would it have meant? Which it did. For, <laughs> sure. What would that have meant for these two programs, for Michigan State and Baylor? Well, Baylor, I mean, you could make the case that they will have supplanted UConn as the the dominant dynasty in, in college basketball. It wouldn't have just been their back-to-back championship uh, this year and last year, but it would have been their fourth title in the last 15 years. Uh, and, and this is a sport where we really talked uh, often a few years ago about the idea that anybody could beat UConn and, and almost like, was it bad for the sport that UConn was so unbeatable? Uh, and then for Michigan State, like we talked about, it would be sort of ongoing you know, Izzo magic, uh, you know, and, and there you could cast them as sort of a, a sort of dynasty. I don't know if, if you really, if they would really qualify for that necessarily. Um, but you know, as, as a fixture, uh, you know, ongoing at the top of the men's college basketball scene. So my big question is just, are we going to send championship banners to both of these teams <laughs> and and could, if we did that if we made uh, a, a simulated championship banner do you think they would hang it up <laughs> um what do you mean by hang it up you mean like print it and put it on someone's bulletin board in somewhere in the athletic department or you mean actually raise it to the rafters of the breslin <laughs> I mean, center either Either's an option. Because I think both are possible. <laughs> I'm not going to tell them how to live their life. I mean, we live in a world where Central <laughs> Florida went undefeated and claimed a national championship just like because they felt like it a few years ago. So why why would you not, if if you had won a simulated championship, at least that is like in lieu of a, a real tournament. There was no tournament. We'll never know who actually would have won. So why not hang up a banner for that? To your credit, there was an article in the in the Freep, the the Detroit Free Press, that was like Michigan State wins website simulation tournament. <laughs> it was news. Hey, it was making Michigan headlines State, around the country. The Michigan State Twitter account tweeted our story about them and said that you know we predicted it, so so it must be real. So I will say for Michigan State, in terms of what this win means, they were falling into a little bit of a this this happens in sports, Neil. We need to get a a, a term for it, but I call it Atlanta Braves syndrome, where you win one title oh. early, and then no one treats you like the Buffalo Bills from then on out because they won that one title. But then it starts becoming clear that it's like, wow, you guys have lost a lot of key playoff games um (laughs) since that title and if you look at what michigan state's done and i say this is you know with no bias nothing to do with me going to ann arbor school in ann arbor but 2001 (laughs) 2005 2010 2015 2019 all losing in the final four and then losing in the final in in 2009 and they also made the final four in 99 so since that mayton cleaves mo pete jason richardson team they really haven't haven't fully gotten there so this is big 
This is big for Izzo. That is true. Yeah. I went back and looked at Michigan State's like year by year history, and I was like actually a little bit surprised that they have not won the actual national championship since 2000. Uh, they've made a lot of final fours, to your point, Jeff. And those final fours have come from like weird seeds sometimes. You know, we're talking like five seeds. Uh, they made it as a seven seed one time. And I think because they won me my bracket contest a few times on the strength of those final four runs, I view them as having won the national championship a few times since then, even though they haven't actually won. So stepping back for a second, we're in our fourth week of the no sports zone. And I want to talk about how we're all feeling about the things we've done to keep sports going, even while it's very clearly stopped. Is it going to get to a point where it's too sad or inconsequential to keep making up sports storylines? Or are there actually opportunities in having this, you know, fossilized snapshot of the NBA regular season or the NCAA going into the tournament? Is it is it worth it to keep, you know, thinking about what might have been? Uh, you're you're acting like it hasn't already reached that point, which I would argue it it maybe has. I do agree that there is a scenario where there's really just no sports this year, if this thing you know takes, if the curve is not flattened and or let's say there's you know a second wave, which a lot of people talk about, and I think it's very possible. And I think when that reality settles in, I think it'll be a different attitude. I think a lot of people will be, you know, including myself, will realize that. Because, frankly, you know, at the reprieve from sports it hasn't has been a little bit welcomed, you know? It, it's okay. You can focus on other things. You can have other interests, and um, you can get by. But once there's no football on the weekends and, and none of the other things happen, there's no baseball, I think it'll be it'll be pretty tough. Yeah, and uh, I I think we are sort of going through. I don't know where these correspond on like the Kubler Ross phases of of <laughs> grief or whatever, but I wonder if we could correspond like how deep we've delved into historical things or simulations or some of these alternative like esport type things as sort of us going through this collective uh process of of coming to grips with no sports because it's like first we went to classic games been doing that pretty pretty significantly then uh we we did our own simulation uh of the NCAA tournament i and and everyone else did and then uh i i've seen now some like the ESPN did the who was the greatest college player of all time, which was Michael Jordan, which was a little strange. Uh, they did a bracket for that. Uh, and then we'll see probably I think ESPN now is doing who were the best World Series losers or like non-champions in a bracket uh, in, in recent memory. So that's fun. We can give some love to the 2011 Texas Rangers. Uh, but then, yeah, I think we're going to get more and more obscure in some of the, uh, the games that we go back and label as classics to give ourselves an excuse to rewatch. And also some of the weird thought experiments and exercises that we're having to do, uh, in lieu of sports. And I think we're like almost further along and, and, uh, you know, deeper into that reserve that we've tapped into now than maybe I thought we would be at this stage because we're not even a month into the shutdown of sports and we're already t- doing tournaments of world series losers. So like, 
I don't know where it goes after that. Are we going to like, like, where would it even go? I don't know. I mean, we'll have to get even more creative about um, the hypotheticals that we're rolling out. But I think this is what gives us that sense of urgency where like Mark Cuban is like, can, can basketball come back like May? Yeah. May sounds good. June 1st. Yeah. No, that, that sounds good. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I think it's like usual sports is proxy for real life, right? I mean, you see that from people going through this withdrawal of normal human interaction and, you know, not getting to go outside or, you know, see people or whatever. And I mean, you see people trying to trying to make up substitutes for that and and deal with the the capacities that we have. And I think initially people were, you know, excited to we're going to have a Zoom happy hour or whatever and like stay in touch with people that way and we're going to make the best of it. And at some point, it's going to be like, I like can't, I just can't anymore with any of this. I'm, I feel terrible. Everything's awful. And so you can see that sort of in both like sports, how we're dealing with the lack of sports, but also just how we're dealing with the lack of human contact and not getting to leave our houses or whatever. I'm out here talking to pigeons. Yeah, talking to pigeons. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Doesn't it make sense? I know I I just lay down a scenario where there's no sports in 2020, but I actually do think the one exception will be golf. Because if you think about it, you don't need to be... You can play an entire round of golf and not be within six feet of another human. And it's outside, which the virus doesn't do as well outside it, it, it naturally adds a defense you get rid of the galleries which frankly get in the way anyway you know just need a camera tower a few cameras frankly you know you could do one person groups you could do no caddies you can limit it to almost nobody and no one's getting near each other so i do think that sport will be back we've already talked about horse racing is <laughs> powering through Regardless, the Arkansas Derby still on track to be run, and we will be handicapping it. But I think the point is that each sport is different, and I think it's um, it. A lot of it will come down to to money because I I think at the end of the day, I mean, it's it's going to be crippling to a lot of industries if they just up and cancel, you know, a whole year's worth of revenue. All right, I think we can leave that discussion there. Let's take a break, and when we come back, we'll dive into our rabbit hole of the week. At 538, we often find ourselves falling down various rabbit holes of data. Some lead to stories, some don't. We end each week's show with one of these descents, the hot takedown rabbit hole of the week. We are delighted to be joined by 538 designer Emily Shear, who has a special deep dive for us. Take it away, Emily. Hi, Sarah. It is so nice to uh, hear your voice. (laughs) Same. It's really good to see you. Yes. Um, I miss you guys. But yeah, so I'm here with, um, it's a little less of a deep data dive and more of, I think it's like a pitch. Um, and it's a pitch on why survivors should fill the uh, sport-shaped hole in your life. <laughs> it ticks so many boxes. It's great. It's on right now. Plus, you have a whole backlog to go through. And I'm here to basically, I guess, pitch Survivor to you guys and the listeners. You don't need to pitch it to me. I'm. A, I already agree. So we're really just <laughs> Good. pitching. So Good. I, I'll yeah, support you. Me. <laughs> yeah. So um, 
I guess, do I need to give a little bit of background on Survivor um, for the people who have been living under a rock for 20 years? (laughs) Yeah, pretend I know nothing. Wait, you don't have to pretend that hard, actually. (laughs) So um, if I have to describe Survivor to someone that has been living under a rock for the past 20 years and 40 seasons of this show. Um, So it's a show where they maroon... About 16 to 20 contestants on an island, divided into teams. Well, they call them tribes, but we'll use sports terms. (laughs) And then they compete in a series of challenges, sometimes for rewards, sometimes for immunity, which means they don't have to vote one of their members out. And then the losing tribe votes out one of their members each week. Then eventually they merge together. Then they continue competing in challenges. Now it's an individual game. They continue voting people out. And then at the end... All the people that have been voted out vote for a winner to receive a million dollars, the title of Soil Survivor, and in the early seasons, a Pontiac Aztec, (laughs) which is one of my favorite parts. Um, It's changed a little bit over the year. It's evolved. The gameplay has evolved. The mechanics have evolved, both from like a player standpoint and sort of the rules set by production. But overall, it's it's great. I love it. It has consumed my life for 20 years, which is insane to say, but it's very much true. Have you ever sent in an application? I haven't because I would be terrible at it. But what I would want to do is be one of the like, they call them the dream team. So it's sort of like the interns that test out all the challenges. And it's who they use when sort of showing the intro videos for each of the challenges. So it's like the hand models doing the puzzles. All I want to do is just do the puzzles. <laughs> well, okay. So, so tell us then why Survivor takes the, takes the place of sports. So sports involve seasons played out over a series of weeks. They involve multiple games. They lead up to one champion after a process of elimination. That is exactly what Survivor has. You have a series of seasons. We have 40 of them. They're played out over a series of weeks with a new episode coming out every week. Occasionally you get a double episode, but they have multiple games. You have your elimination. You have your reward challenge, your immunity challenge. We lead up to one champion, the sole survivor after the process of elimination. It's the exact same thing. You also have people getting injured and their season ending because they got injured. You know, in this case, <laughs> yes. like they accidentally fell into the fire and, and had to be medevaced out. We got injuries. We got dislocated shoulders, broken toes, torn ligaments, lost teeth. You got a bunch of medical evacuations. There was a challenge in Survivor Thailand where basically they have to get sort of across a series of like beams and platforms. And there's one beam that is specifically called out as being the attack zone where they are allowed to, like, physically... One guy actually chokes another person, but that's where they're allowed to just, like, shove someone off the beam. So you've got attack zones. Wow. I will say a difference is that they have... One of the things the show has done well, and, and Emily, I'm not as... I'm not... I've watched... There's been 40 seasons. They do do a good job of making sure the person who is most athletic and maybe the mo- the best at at all the challenges and all that is a little bit not at too much of an advantage. And they do that by, you know, you know, making some of the challenges cerebral and, and others, you know, about balance and, and patience and, uh, you know, 
things like that. So you can't just win with brute strength, which probably is like a little bit different than the sports world. But it makes because they have a wide range of ages and athleticism on the show. You know, I think they that's a smart call. Yeah. Well, sports aren't just people ramming into each other. Well, mostly I mean, the they Olympics, are, though, let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, mostly. But like the Olympics, you got so many target based activities. Survivor also has target based activities. Archery, blow darts, boomerangs, spear throwing. They shoot an old machine gun on the Palau season. And they have like every form of break a tile you can imagine. So they have like with a slingshot, you can toss a ball. You can bounce a ball off like a ramp to do it. You can throw a bag. You bounce a bag off of a trampoline. <laughs> but you can you can win without winning any of the challenges. I guess that's the key difference. Oh, yes. Um, You have one winner who is mostly known for sitting out of challenges to the point where on the most recent all winter season, they refer to the sit out bench to sort of even the amount of people playing. If a tribe has more members than another, they have to sit someone out to balance it. And they refer to it as her bench. So one of the things that like we're missing from sports right now, too, is the like, the narratives of the you know the, the the teams that are on certain tracks for whatever the the beefs between players the NBA that kind of thing so Survivor can fill that hole for us too right oh of course the whole show is a narrative it's a television show so it's all about storytelling and basically you have to sort of look at it as it's either trying to tell you why someone won or why someone lost and usually we're sort of telling both at the same time. Which also sports is basically about why this one team won and why this one team lost. And I think even if you know the winner of a series, it's really still interesting to keep watching or to rewatch because then you see sort of all the moves that were made that result in them winning. So Survivor, you can watch it as a classic game too, like we're doing with all the sports right now. Yes, that is what I did this weekend. I put on the first season of Survivor. I was just like background noise. (laughs) This is what I do. I just watch old seasons of Survivor. (laughs) And there's also this like whole meta game analyzing the edit and the narrative that is like really wild of like, it's sort of one of the levels of like advanced analytics of Survivor. It's called Edgic. It's about the logic of the edit. So it's like, there's this whole grid of like, Are you over the top? Are you under the radar? And like all these different characters that you could be edited as and people looking at sort of the role someone has throughout the season and the different ways they've been portrayed as like a way to analyze who the winner is. Wait, I'm sorry. Survivor has advanced stats? Yes. What? Survivor has a truly insane amount of advanced stats. So you have your basic stats like challenge wins, challenge losses, voting. So like... Did I vote for the person that went home tonight? Did I play an idol successfully? All of that. There's also this website called True Dork Times, which is like <laughs> very aptly named. It's very aptly named. They have a whole like page with a glossary of advanced survivor stats. So two of those, you have your survival score, which is the sum of your challenge win percentage, which is like how many challenges you do, plus your tribal council percentage, which is, of course how often you vote with your tribe and get the correct person eliminated plus your jury vote percentage and then you get like a maximum score it's it has stats for every season in the US and it also has stats for the international seasons it's like the survivor <laughs> coverage industry is 
well, it's not as big as the sports coverage industry, but it's like very close. Yeah, there's like reaction shows too. Like, so there's sort of co- you know coverage of the the shows themselves, right? Yes. So if a big part of sports to you, and I'm assuming for both of you and the listeners, seeing as this is a sports podcast, is listening to analysis of uh, sports when sports aren't happening. Survivor will do that for you. So Rob Sesternino, who was on Amazon, and then he also showed up on All Stars, is sort of like the main figure in Survivor podcasting, but it also like extends way beyond him. So just discussion of the episode last Wednesday, he has released nine different shows (laughs) discussing it. They run from like an hour to four hours. What? So there's like at least 24 hours of survivor coverage just from this one, per- this one like network and website that you can listen to after watching a regular episode of survivor. And then there's also retrospective podcasts that look at old seasons. So really you can spend all your time in this quarantine watching survivor, listening to discussion about survivor, consuming it, Rewatching old seasons it's great okay that will do it for this week's show thank you so much for joining us we'll be back in your feed next tuesday if you like what you heard please subscribe please also review and rate us on apple Podcasts. the digital word of mouth really does help new people discover the show you can also email us at podcast at 538.com to let us know what you think our podcast producer is sarah shackett tony chow is in the virtual control room and our podcast commissioner is chad matlin For Neil, Jeff, and Emily, I'm Sarah. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next time.